and, and begin this portion of our service. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and, and, and bring that out. We're going to be looking at several passages this evening. But before we actually get to those passages, I, I want to take some time and set up where we're going tonight. Um, we cannot understand what Christ did on Good Friday, the point of his death, unless we understand why he died. But let me begin with a question or two. What do you fear the most? More importantly, who do you fear the most? Let me put it another way. What is the greatest threat to your life? At what point should you do whatever you need to do in order to secure yourself from the greatest threat in your life? What is the, your greatest threat? Just think about that for a second. What would your answer be? Who is your greatest enemy? Uh, the greatest enemy that you and I will encounter is not human. Now you're probably thinking Satan, and you would be wrong. The, th the greatest threat to you is God. In order to understand the cross, we have to understand what happened when man sinned. That literally the anger and the wrath of God had to be justified. It had, it had to be passed out to those who were sinners. The wages of sin is death. And I'm talking about this is before you came to Christ. Every human being is born into sin. Every human being has committed sin. And so the greatest enemy that you encounter, your greatest, your deadliest, your most destructive enemy is God himself. We shouldn't be surprised by this. Demons certainly understood it. They approached Jesus and they asked the question, have you come to destroy us? They know of the destructive power of God. They know of the judgment to come. God is absolutely the final judge and the executioner. I, I hate to start a Good Friday service on such a downer, but in order for us to truly understand the depth and the purpose behind the cross, we have to begin at the beginning. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. James got in on it. He said, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Fear the one who can send you to hell. God is the greatest threat to the life of every human being that ever lived and ever will live. Being terrified of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And that is not talking about Satan there. That is not talking about Satan. Satan is not the sovereign of hell. Satan is actually in bondage in hell. When God puts him there in the lake of fire, he is there in bondage. God is the sovereign over hell. But herein lies the problem. In our country, we believe that God is our friend. I'm not talking about believers, okay? As believers, we do have a friend in God. He is our friend through Jesus Christ. Not by anything we've done, but by what Christ has done for us on the cross. But for Americans, 
Many Americans just believe that God is their friend. We constantly call on God and say, God bless America. We sing the song, a song that was written back in like 1911. And it's a great song. I love the song, God bless America. But the reality is everybody who sings the song doesn't go to heaven. We think we're worthy of blessing because we love freedom, because we love justice. There's a certain sort of collective goodness that's in us, we think. We're philanthropic, you know, we are charitable, we care, we show compassion. These are the marks of Americans over the years, over, through history. There, there's a desire in America for equality. We're concerned about welfare. We're concerned about protecting people from harm, not only our own people, but for years, for hi our history shows that we'll travel abroad to protect other people of other nations as well. So we think that we all are in this goodness. Surely God, because of that, will bless us. After all, we have His name on our coins, and He's in, His name is in our Pledge of Allegiance. We even have preachers who teach that God is the source of our personal good fortune. God is all about giving us health, wealth, prosperity for personal gain. He's even the cause of our favorite team winning the game after the game and the big victory. Thank you, Lord! As if God even knows what you're talking about. He could care less. Well, I hate to rain on the charade, I mean parade. But let's bring some truth into our sentimental imaginations about God. The truth is God, God to mankind is mankind's worst enemy. Our ever-present deadly danger, our eternal judge and executioner who will destroy both body and soul in hell. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is where wisdom starts with the role that God plays in the universe. What role is that? As judge and executioner, we need to understand that. You won't fear the Lord unless you understand that. Here's a question for you. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate what is evil. To hate what is evil. Hate not only the nature of evil, that's temporal, okay? But also hate the result of evil. That's permanent. That's eternal. And if you're going to fear anything, fear God. Don't fear what you can only destroy or what can only destroy your body. Fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. These are not my thoughts. These are not my ideas. Thoughts and ideas will shrivel up and die like everything else, like everybody else. We don't live on thoughts and ideas, or on opinions. How many of you have an opinion about something? Everybody raise a hand. We all have opinions, okay? They're as common as your navel. Everybody has one. But the reality is, listen... Your opinion will die with you. What will stand forever is the truth of God's word. The Bible says this about God, for your Lord, your God, is a consuming fire. God is angry with the wicked every day, the scripture says. God said, I, I also will act in fury. My eye will not spare nor will I have pity, and though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. Isaiah 63, verse 3. This is God giving self-disclosure. 
I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. Jonathan Edwards is known. He probably is one of the greatest theologians in American history. And he preached a sermon that's very famous, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. In it, he said this, If you cry to God to pity you, he will be so far from pitying you or showing you the least favor, that instead of that he will only tread you underfoot. And though he will know that... and though." He will know that you cannot bear the weight of omnipotence treading upon you, yet he will not regard it, but will crush you under his feet without mercy. He will crush out your blood and make it fly, and it shall be sprinkled on his garments so as to stain all his clothing. He will not only hate you, but he will hold you in utmost contempt. When he preached that sermon after he finished, and by the way, he could barely see the man read his notes like this. But people were screaming, crying. Repentance broke out in that service. Isaiah said, See, the Lord is coming with fire, and His chariots are like a whirlwind. It's the picture of God coming down with anger and wrath in the final judgment. And, and He is rebuking with flames of fire. Picture the chariots of God approaching like an army that's driven furiously, kicking up dust. God will come in judgment like a whirlwind, and all his enemies will feel the fury of his wrath. Every one of us is a sinner before we come to Christ, right? And the punishment for our sin is death. And that punishment is going to be carried out on those who have not believed in Jesus Christ with anger and holy wrath by God. Why am I saying all this? Because you can't understand Christ and what he did on the cross unless we understand that at the point of his death, he died to take on every ounce of this anger and wrath and judgment that I've just shared with you from God. Every ounce of anger and wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. The gospel in Christianity is not about a happier life, church. It's not about a better social life. It's not about a better marriage. It's not about fulfilling your potential and your desires or being everything that you could be and everything you want to be. It's not about ending your dissatisfactions it's really not even about getting rid of the shame and the guilt of feelings that you have. That's not the essence of the gospel. We all have a conscience, right? What's the job of the conscience? And who gave us the conscience? God. It's a gift from God. Your conscience is a gift from God. And it declares and accuses you as guilty when you do something that is wrong. You don't want to live without your conscience. So don't think for a second that the gospel is going to remove all shame and guilt. Sometimes we need to feel the guilt for what we have done. So the conscience accuses us. But the message of the gospel and the message of Christianity isn't to somehow overcome your guilt by silencing your active conscience. In fact, the essence of sin isn't defined by failures or bad relationships or bad behaviors. The definition of sin 
is best described is the idea that your sin is a holy offense to Almighty God. It violates His law. It disrupts a person's relationship with Him. The gospel is not about fixing your relationship to yourself or even feeling better about relationships with other people. It's not about fixing your relationship. It's, it's the gospel's about your remedy for your relationship to holy God. A holy God who will bring anger and wrath against those who do not receive the good work of Jesus Christ, the perfect work of Christ on the cross. See, this is where the, the work of Christ on the cross comes in. Now we get to the good news. Sorry for putting you through all that negative stuff. But listen, that, that message isn't being preached in many places today. Christians aren't thinking of it that way. And because we're saved and we're no longer under the wrath and the anger and the judgment of God doesn't give us the excuse for not remembering that we once were lost in sin and that we once had no way out of our sins and there's no amount of goodness and reputation that would remove that guilt and shame from us. 1 Peter 3.18, I love this passage. For Christ also suffered once for sins. By the way, he's not going to keep going and suffering. He doesn't need to. It's done. And if you are saved in Christ Jesus, it's done. You don't have to keep going back and trying to redo salvation over and over and over again. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Christ died for our sins. That's what we remember on Good Friday. The price that our Savior paid on Himself for us. 1 Peter 2.22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. And again, let me say for clarification's sake, that does not mean that Jesus actually sinned. He never sinned, but He took on our sins on the cross. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Pastor Peyton mentioned what we're going to celebrate in two more days, right? Isn't that wonderful? The, the resurrection of the Lord, because He lives, we live also. That's what Jesus told His disciples. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls us or compels us because we have concluded this. Here it is, church, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And He died for all that those who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. If Christ died and was raised, you also who believe have died to your old self and you've been raised new in Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. But understand this. Just because you have a new man inside of you doesn't mean that God clothed you, that new man, in a new body. It has not happened yet. I look at my body and I can promise you it ain't happened yet. I'm waiting for that day, but it has not happened yet. <laughs> and guess what? The old body that my new man's clothed in still has a tendency towards sin, an inclination towards sin. And temptation comes every single day, and we fall short. But we were justified by faith. God's view of our justification through the work of Christ on the cross, let me tell you what that is. It's as if God never sees sin in you again. It's just as if, just if justification, just as if you never sin. That's how righteous you are now. It's not your good works. It's not your righteousness. It's you've been covered in the righteousness of Christ. He imputed to us his righteousness. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. But Christ went to the cross. He suffered. He carried the full weight. God, in his anger and wrath and judgment, poured down a deluge of judgment upon Jesus to the point that it brought him to death, death on a cross. He paid the full price for our, in our substitution. He pardoned us. So it's one thing when people say, well, you know, what does the cross mean? Well, it means that my sins are forgiven. Oh, it does. That's true. But far more important before we ever get to the forgiveness of sins the cross means that Jesus took on, in your behalf, God's anger and wrath and judgment. You've been released from the judgment of God. You will not stand in the final day and be judged. You will be judged by your rewards. You'll be judged by your works. But you will not be judged for sin if you are a true believer in the Lord. What a blessing to think. I, I love Colossians, and in Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. That, that's a good version. That's the ESV. But let me read it for you, if I can pull it up quickly. Let me read it from the NASB, and probably in the New King James, and the King James it reads the same. It says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's who went to the cross, God himself. In the fullness of deity, he went to the cross. Also fully man. And in him, listen now, those of us who are found in Christ by faith, and in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. We are complete in Christ. What does that mean? It means there is no more righteousness that we will receive than what we received when we believed in Jesus Christ and were saved. You got all of it. You got all of it. That's who you are today. That is why the Apostle Paul addresses in his epistles the different churches and he calls them saints. 
not because of how we see ourselves or how others see us, but how God sees us. To God, we're saints. That's who we are. All because of the work of Christ on the cross. Is that not something worth shouting and giving God praise for? Isn't he good? It's wonderful. And that's why we enter this time of the Lord's Supper, this time of communion tonight. If you're not a believer, you really should not participate in this. I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to push people out, to ostracize people. I'm saying it because that's what the Bible says. That the, the, the Lord's Supper was instituted on the night that Jesus met with his disciples for the final Passover meal. That was, by the way, the final legitimate Passover meal. When Jesus ate that with his disciples, that was the last time the Passover meal, the Seder meal, was legitimate. Not to say that we shouldn't have a Seder meal, that we shouldn't celebrate that, but we don't no longer find the same purpose in the Seder meal that the Jews find even to this day. We're not remembering what God did for our forefathers. Now, Jesus, after the Passover meal, instituted a new covenant, a new meal. And so what he did was, he sat at the table after the meal and he took bread. This is, crumbs are going to go everywhere. We'll have to clean this up after. And he gave thanks to God the Father for the bread as he sat with his disciples. And, and, and Judas had already left the room. The ones who were left were those who were truly saved or who would be with Christ. And he took it and he broke the bread and then he distributed the bread to them. And he said to them, I want you to take this and I want you to eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. What you will eat in the new covenant meal is a remembrance of what Jesus did, fully human, yet fully God, on the cross for you. And then he took a cup after, and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood. Do you remember when you entered into the new covenant with Christ? When you were saved? You remember when, it, when that was? Remember where you were? I remember distinctly to know that now my sins have been forgiven, that I've been atoned for through Christ, and to take that drink, that cup, and to drink it, remembering the new covenant that was established in his blood. The Old Testament says, and the New Testament also, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. There's no way to cover sin. There has to be a shedding of blood. Christ was the sacrificial lamb, the once for all sacrificial lamb. He paid the price. He spared you the wrath of God. He gave you forgiveness for your sins. He set you on an eternal destination in heaven. This is what Jesus did. And you know what? If, if what he did on the cross was in some way insufficient 
to meet God's just demand for punishment against sin, God would have not raised him from the dead three days later. He would still be in the grave. But that's never going to happen. Why? Because he's God. And God's plan prevails. And Jesus, up from the grave, he arose. Amen? And because he rose, we also will rise. With him into glory. But we've already been raised spiritually. New people, new creatures. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? That's what we celebrate tonight. What Jesus did for us. I'm going to invite two of our elders to come and prepare the, the elements for us. The, the bread, we have actually have a tongue. If you would allow us, don't reach into the, the, the bread bowl. <laughs> Just make a palm with your hand and, and they will take with a tongue and put a piece of bread in your hand. And then you can take the cups. By the way, the cups, we're going to lay them out for you. We also have gluten-free bread for those of you who need that, the gluten-free. But uh, just come forward. What we're going to do, I think the best way to handle this would be, let's see if we can't, um, uh, instead of mass confusion, uh, come towards this center aisle on your way down and then go up this side aisle on each side, back to your seat. So those of you over here on this section, this area, you'll come down here and go back that way. Those of you over here, if you'll come out to the middle aisle, don't come down the side aisle because people are going to go back. We're just trying to, this is a smaller room for a crowd this size, so we're trying to make it work. I, I want us to pray, and I want us to, to be able to take a moment and reflect what Jesus has done for us, to examine our hearts and give thanks to God that no longer are we sinners. We are called saints. And the deep appreciation that we feel in our heart to Jesus for what he did for us. Take a moment if you would. Father, we often forget that you are storing up anger and wrath against the ungodly. You spoke about that in Romans 1. And that's who we used to be. We were counted among the ungodly, everybody in this room. But thanks be unto Jesus Christ. Thanks be under, unto God the Father who from the foundation of the world had a plan to save us. And thank you, Jesus, for being obedient even unto death on the cross. So tonight as we come, as we receive the elements, we're asking that you would just give us every moment, every thought, every feeling towards the appreciation that we have for Jesus. Everything would be focused on that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.